from Sydney Media in Melbourne. You're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. Hey there, you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike. This is the second podcast of the year. You're with Julia. And Cal. And today we're going to be discussing whether or not um, Tim Wilson's um, Freedom Commissioner post, which he has just resigned from, should be replaced with a Disability Commissioner. Cameron and Christian are also going to be discussing dyspraxia and how sometimes it is quite infantilised. And yeah, there should hopefully be some more cool things coming up too. Yes, yes, there should. Reminder, we have a Facebook page. We yep. also have a Twitter. <laughs> and we also have a WordPress. Yeah, we haven't. We need to put more stuff on that. Yes, yes <laughs> we, we really do. do. Um, yeah, so definitely it's going to be a fun show. So stay tuned. This is Great Minds Don't Think Alike. Hi there, you're with Julia and Callan, and we are going to be doing a bit of a discussion about the Human Rights Commission and the role of, well, potentially bringing back a full-time disability commissioner. So for a little bit of context, because it's, it's a bit of a like multi-layered story, um... So there's a Human Rights Commission, um, well, the Australian Human Rights Commission, and there's all different types of commissioners. There's a a race discrimination commissioner, there's a sex discrimination commissioner, etc. So I believe it was in 2014? It was 2013. 2013. So in 2013, Tim Wilson was appointed as a Freedom Commissioner in the Human Rights Commission. In 2014... Graham Innes, who was the disability commissioner, he he resigned from that role because basically he was made redundant. After this, they had a part-time human rights, a part-time disability commissioner. So the person who was the age discrimination commissioner, Susan Ryan, also in 2014, she not only was the age discrimination commissioner, but also the disability commissioner. Now, this, this whole... Um, getting rid of a full-time commissioner was seen as quite contentious by a lot of people in the disability community. Some people say, you know, actually, we really need a full-time commissioner. I should also say that a lot of people, like, there's some mixed opinions about Tim Wilson, which I'm not going to get into. But, you know, some people were saying that he was perhaps pushing his own agenda. Some people weren't saying that. You know, that's that's another story for another time. Um, so essentially what's happened this year is that Tim Wilson has resigned from his job as Freedom Commissioner and he has said that he is going to run as a Liberal Party candidate in Goldstein in Melbourne. So this is running for pre-selection. He doesn't know if he's actually going to be in the election yet. It's just the pre-selection. Oh, he's got, he gave up a $400,000 a year job for to run in, in pre, pre-selection for the Liberal Party. You surely hope that he would commit to that. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I mean there's no there's no guarantee yet because, you know, there are some other quite prominent competitors as well. But it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty big move. So what we have to do is we have to summarise the context in which it, it was conceived under a neoliberal government. So they immediately think that freedom is the highest, highest thing, thing that can, it enables all other virtues inside their mind. Yeah. 
uh, they think that if you take away somebody's freedom, then then they don't have the power to do anything. So therefore, it's kind of a mute point for them to do anything. But it's also a part of at what was then the Abbott regime's effectiveness quota. They yeah. started rolling things in together. And I, I don't know whether there's any basis in which to say that you could say, oh, just put the disability commissioner into the freedom commissioner and put all these other roles in, to, in together with it. It will be fine. They, don't barely, they barely get yeah. any complaints anyway. Well, the thing is... Um... Like uh, around the time, around the time Graham Innes was sort of had had resigned from the from his role as disability commissioner, I spoke to Susan Ryan, who was just not only having the age discrimination role but also the disability role. She, she like I, I spoke to her on the phone. Nothing to me said that she wasn't going to try her hardest to do the best possible. Mm. But at oh, the same time, you know, the article states that that around a third ish. Uh, of the complaints that are sent to the Freedom Commission are about disability. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't say they're the raw numbers. I, 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 well, I could very much accept the argument if they if well, they're... If, 31% if the only, of the total complaint load. Yeah. Total complaint load yeah, total of the complaint load, But they don't tell you what the, the total... Com- if they, of the entire commission. Of the entire commission. All yeah. right, then maybe it does deserve its own thing. Yeah. It, it depends, like... As I said, if they don't tell us like the the amount of complaints they're getting, then I can't. I have no number in which to to gauge yeah. how. Like they could get ten complaints. A third of <laughs> ten is three point three three recurring. So, but then like you know the age, which is only gets six percent. You know that's pretty. That's pretty small. So what's that like half a complaint? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I mean, I feel like I feel like I mean. I think it was a, a bit of a. I mean, I mean, nothing against Susan Ryan, who I think has done like the absolute best of her ability in, in her situation. I think it's quite irresponsible to have someone with two portfolios of actually things that are really quite important. Even though age discrimination only got you know six percent of the complaints received by the commission, it's still quite an important issue. And I mean, obviously, if if there is thirty one percent of total complaints being about disability, then that's a really, really like. Then there big must issue. be some other basis or argument to say that, okay, uh, any discrimination faced by the disability community is technically a breach of your freedom anyway. I it doesn't. I don't understand it now. I think. I mean, like, <clears throat> the Freedom Commissioner. I think it was perhaps a little bit vague. I think a lot of people thought that he was peddling agenda. I'm not going to go into whether that was correct or not. Well, but the, the, the title wasn't made by him anyway, so how could he? Exactly. But I do feel like there needs to be, you know, like, I mean, looking looking like last year and then looking at, you know, the allegations against Urala and, you know, allegations of abuse at school, you know, these all can be seen as human rights Violations. So there is well, something did, going on. Well, I believe there was a royal commission last year into the yeah. into the practices. In which case, you probably just, and a neoliberal probably would do this. It's like ah, they're dealing with it anyway. So yeah, and I mean, like, there's also other other things like you know employment and is there enough services and is there enough you know support for carers? I mean, of course, disability isn't just about disabled people. It's about the people around them as well. Yes. So it's about parents and carers. It's it's about 
siblings. It's about all the people. So I, I feel like perhaps there needs to be. I mean, I would. I mean, I'm kind of at the point where why don't we have both a freedom commissioner and a disability commissioner? Because liberals will never accept that. It's there's <laughs> too many roles. It's not efficient enough. Well, I feel like for proper efficiency, efficiency, rather, um, you know, they don't I, like big government. That's just but two it's more just people in government. In government. <laughs> anyway, so away from that, like, I mean, I'm personally in support of it. I'm not sure. Are you personally in support of it? I am in support of splitting the roles. Yes. Yeah. Um, whether or not our current government will do it or future governments will do it. That's another story. But I kind of want to really discuss about if if we were to get a disability commissioner, um, what what like how how do we go about it? So um, people with disability Australia, their president kind of said to the Sydney Morning Herald article that he and his organisation would prefer, well, actually more than prefer, they would definitely want someone who was disabled themselves to be the commissioner. I kind of agree and kind of don't agree with that at the same time. I, I vehemently disagree with it. <laughs> I've, I've made this point before. You don't put sort of like limitations on leadership. Otherwise, you're just cutting people out. Like my personal, I feel like, you know, I think it would be preferable for someone with a disability. Of course it's preferable. It's preferable, but I don't think it's necessarily the prerequisite. If I'm going to put a prerequisite is that I want someone who has dealt with human rights law specifically to disability for a period of years. Mm, yes, yes. This 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 kind of role does demand that kind of experience. I mean, I, I mean if we got someone who was yeah, they're disabled and yeah, they've been doing human rights law, but all their human rights law has been about race or it's been about, you know, gender, which is great and all. You know, I would see them more as like a racial commissioner person or a sex discrimination person rather than a disability what, person. What I want is the best person for the job. I don't care if they're... Yeah. I don't care if their legs don't... If their, their legs do or don't work. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it would be lovely to see more people in office... And I guess I think what I'm saying with my previous point is that, you know, if we have a person with disability holding an office, it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically about disability, you know? Like, if there was a freedom commissioner who is talking about freedom and that's their thing, happens to be in a wheelchair, that's cool. Even though they might not personally be talking about that. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's always good to have diversity, but perhaps, you know, it will be, you know, we've got, we've got you know a defence minister who is a woman, that's pretty cool. Like, things like that. You don't necessarily need to have the token, okay, we need someone who's disabled for the disabled person role. Yes. Um, if there is someone who, like, ideally, if they're not disabled, it would be pretty good if they, like, had family members or friends. I think if you've been doing freedom, uh, not freedom, <laughs> you know, human, like disability law, chances are you would have had, you would have made friends with some kind of disability along the way and you'd have to empathise with them. A, according to professional things, they wouldn't have made friends with them, they would have defended them in court. Defended them in court, or they would have probably, as well as that. They would have to have dealt with this sort of they stuff They would have before. had to learn a lot about different disabilities, not just disabilities that may affect them personally. So I think, because, like, like, it would be annoying if there was someone who 
literally has just been doing sex discrimination all their life. Um, that's like that's their their their, their area, it, and their they're jam. blind. But the thing is, they don't really know much about other disabilities besides being blind. Being blind, you know. Mm. But again, that, this comes down to the selection process. Yeah. So I mean, I find it a little bit annoying when people are just like, "Yes, they must be disabled." That that is the prerequisite. I think the prerequisite is actually being involved and and knowing things. And chances are that will mean someone who is personally affected by disability either are disabled or are an ally. And by an ally, I mean a proper ally. But, you know, that might not necessarily be as clean-cut as that. I, I am... Re- I kind of... I am reminded of the current um, Australian of the Year, David uh. Morrison. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, God, why is he doing all this stuff? Because, you know, he's a white cis guy. But he's actually quite yeah. articulate speaking on this. So I, I'm like, if we're going to wrap this all up, hell yes, we need a disability commissioner. commissioner. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is them being disabled is a prerequisite, but maybe other things are. Hello, I'm Christian. And I'm Cameron. And we are two uh, dyspraxic adults. Yeah, I bet you didn't know they existed. Um, <laughs> here to talk to you today um, about uh, the infantilization of dyspraxic people. Well, uh, adults, obviously. And, and also, I, I think you could say, like, older teenagers to a certain extent as well. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think late adolescence, what I kind of thought I would try and talk about today is this infantilization concept where it's... I'd say beyond the age of 12, there's very kind of like little resources. There's very kind of few um, things on how to, you know, cope and get jobs and stuff. Most um, resources are very much kind of geared for teachers of primary school students and their parents. Um, I just said as a kind of like example, I bet if I put in dyspraxia help, everything that will come up will be um, aimed at parents or teachers, and it all was. So... I think no one really kind of wants to consider the dyspraxic kind of adult. No, no, definitely not. And uh, just to explain what developmental birth dyspraxia is or dyspraxia is in general, because you probably don't know, unfortunately, it's uh, it's sort of a combination of um, difficulties with coordination, with things like um, spatial awareness is another big one. I'm kind of just going to list the ones that uh, affect me mostly here, like time management, multitasking, memory to uh, a certain extent, but kind of like a whole lot of simple like um, tasks that involve like fine and gross um, motor skills, uh, sort of day-to-day things. So like the things that um, you're very likely to see a, dyspra- a dyspraxic person doing, no, no matter what age they um, they are, I think, is stuff like dropping things, if like dropping their keys oh, or yeah. dropping, <laughs> dropping their phone or, well, I mean, everyone does that. Dropping their grades is another one. Yeah. The fatigue. That's true, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, because sometimes, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Because um, often you do, you do have to, like if you're studying, you do have to work double time with a lot of those things that uh, other people take for granted. And yeah, it's yeah. it's all those little day-to-day things. Oh yeah, actually it was um, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to infantilization was this kind of recurring concept where um, I kind of get this atmosphere whenever I kind of walk into the well-being centre at my uni. Staffed by very lovely ladies, they're all very nice, but I kind of get this sense of like, I feel like I've magically become about five years younger than I am. Just the way they kind of talk and interact with me, it's like, because I've got a disability, they know I've got that much. Mm. They automatically assume that they kind of, like, they need to speak to me like a child, which is kind of... It's like one of those, like, microaggressive kind of things. Yeah, I... 
Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, because if you, if you compare, say, when I, when I like, walk into my faculty office um, and I, like, I, I haven't been there before and I don't really know where I'm going or where I'm supposed to go to make an appointment, it's more like, oh, okay, just, just go over there. You, I'm sorry, you can't go in here. Um, whereas when I go into like, the disability services office and I'm not really sure like, where to make the appointment or where I, where's the staff-only area or whatever, it's kind of like, oh, hello. Do you have an appointment? Yeah. Oh, right. just sit over there, sweetie. And yeah, it's it's um I don't know. It, it's it's almost like that um that thing of walking into any any like hospital or or, or any like psychiatric institution. Yeah. Um And and yeah, you you you, you suddenly feel as, as though yeah, there's a certain there's a certain level of assumptions that people make about you. Um, like just like a, a blanket one, as, as though they they kind of. I, th I think that's maybe the way that some people process it. It's like, oh, okay, so if you haven't learnt yet to do all of these things that the adults do, yeah. then you're still a child, so I'm going to talk to you like a child. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of that. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, one of, one of the things that dyspraxia used to be called was clumsy child syndrome, which I think <laughs> is very kind of telling. Um, mm. But a lot, of, a lot of the kind of, you know, signifiers of adulthood... Um, Well, they're, they're very kind of sort of ableist. Like, I remember I remember there was a lot of talk about when I was trying to get my license, how everyone was like, this is like the start of, like, your adult freedom, and everyone kept on attaching adult to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, like, kind of... It was one of those very weird things, because, like, I couldn't get my license. I wasn't going to learn that very quickly, because everything involved in driving requires, you know, kind of concentration and spatial awareness, and um, it can be very tiring and all these kind of things that made it just very kind of hard for me to get my license. So It's it pretty was, much a checklist yeah. of the effects of dyspraxia, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I um, felt kind of locked out in mm, a way. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, but I mean, yeah, not, not only that, but, like, driving is just one of those things that's, like, you know, very, very um, sort of exclusionary, and people talk about it being, like, a mark of adulthood because you know, you've got... For, um, on the spectrum of people who um like don't drive you've got um you know people who can't because of a disability all the way down to people who prefer not to or people who can't afford to have the time to get a license yeah or who can't afford to get a car so yeah. so yeah exactly i mean you know clearly this infantilization is even wider than disability but um disabilities are certainly the one of the most prominent examples yeah especially the developmental ones yeah um because they you know people hear development they think oh, okay you develop in childhood so it's a childhood kind of condition and it just delays your development and until you get over that developmental condition you haven't developed and you're not an adult yeah yeah, and and heads, I, yeah. i think um and it's very For me, it's very kind of telling what people kind of expect from um, people with disabilities in terms of um, visibility, because I think one of the things is that by the time you're an adult, you kind of learn how to cope, and uh, I, I don't know a more kind of polite, genteel way of saying this, but um, act normal, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, little, yeah, little kids, they don't have the kind of self-consciousness that adults do, so they'll be different all over the place, and they won't know. And then when you kind of get older... And you kind of, you know, figure out how to hide it and you figure out your coping mechanisms. I'm an absolute stickler for routine. Hmm. Um, I have all these kind of things that I kind of do every day and essentially just kind of, I put a lot of effort into appearing normal and together and, you know, competent. But, you know, kids don't have that. But when people kind of assume, when you can kind of learn how to pass as a normal person, I guess. Is there a normal person? I don't <laughs> know. That, that'll be my next one, maybe. <laughs> um, people kind of think, oh, yeah, you've overcome it. Because they can't see it, it's not there anymore. It's this weird kind of visibility thing because, you know, everyone's still stuck in the mindset of a disabled person being, on, you know, in a wheelchair kind of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, something very obvious. Um, yeah. And I guess it's also something that like people kind of think of as sad. Is like, oh wow, you're an adult who still has a developmental disability. That's, I mean, yeah. That, I guess people think, okay, well, in the in the child, that's one thing because you know every child develops differently. That's something that people are kind of starting to understand. But I mean, eventually they all get to the same point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is what people think. Um, and and I guess um yeah, obviously like there's a quite a degree of um, shame, embarrassment, uh, self-blame in, in adults because um, it, when you try to explain it to someone, I think in a lot of ways it can kind of come across more as an excuse than like an actual condition and that's not specific to dyspraxia but I guess because um, it's kind of made up of a whole lot of little things rather than yeah. one big thing, yeah, big, obvious, um, dramatic thing. Yeah, um, but you still, you, yeah. we still kind of bear the burden of mainstream narratives around mm. disability kind of thing. And um, mm. I, I think we were talking about it before. Um, people look to kind of disabled kids as, like, hopeful and, like, inspirational. And we have, mm. um, like, inspiration porn and all that kind of, like, oh, they're so great. And then, mm. well, when you're an adult and you genuinely need, you need kind of more help and you need to kind of, you're expected to be able to, you know, be this amazing individual who can get by every day. And when you can speak for yourself, you can't fit into that narrative. You're not, mm. you're not this kind of little objectifiable thing anymore because you've got opinions and thoughts and you can kind mm. of speak up for yourself and you can kind of be conscious of what people are trying to frame you as kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, like when I was little and I, was, I had treatment, it went really well, so they put me in the local paper and they had Miracle Boy. And then, uh. yeah, like it was like it was really funny at the time. Like mm. the whole family was laughing about it at the time. Now I look back at it, it's just like, oh, well, have I have I kept the miraculousness up? Am I am I doing my bit for being a miracle? Do I get like a sainthood thing, <laughs> kind of thing? Like it's like you you go from this miracle, seen as this miraculous being who's managed to survive despite these like harrowing difficulties, and then you kind of fade out, and you're not interesting anymore. I think. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? I'm, I'm kind of Yeah, rambling. it does. There's a big, big disconnect, definitely. But um, they, they don't really connect uh, adults sort of walking around having opinions, reading the books that are like written for the adult parents, obviously, of dyspraxic kids. They yeah. don't really associate the thing. Um, okay, hang on. Dyspraxic adults could also be understanding this because this is written at an adult level. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, the little kids, um, you know, you, you can kind of write and talk about them as though they're not reading because they're not reading because they're little kids and they won't be able to understand this complexity of language or this complexity of ideas, sure. But, I mean, the adults with dyspraxia, you can't write about them as though they're not able to read yeah. what you're... Yeah, that was something in a blog post we both looked at. I, I remember reading about one of those blog posts online about like a depressing sort of a taking into account all of the different books on dyspraxia that are out there yeah. and how few of them are aimed at adults oh, how yeah, many of them so. are aimed at parents yeah uh yeah right just writing about anyone as though they're not ever going to read it or going to be able to read it or I, I don't know really what the thinking is behind there but it's just yeah it's a horrible kind of patronizing not even patronizing it's it shows like where the ignorance is i suppose yeah, yeah. well it's it patronizing but it's depressing really mm. it, it, it crushes our mental health to be kind mm. of seen as this like total failure at being an ad adult because you know we need to do something differently from others or sometimes we can't do things at all and then like to just kind of be locked out of that one kind of universal category that everyone is you know adulthood everyone's sort of striving for it mm. Everyone our age is kind of like, oh, are we an adult yet? Are we adulting? And then mm. you kind of feel alienated from that narrative. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's a messy, very kind of messy thing, very kind of messy, nebulous thing, because there's not a lot about dyspraxia. I actually researched um, 
see infantilization and dyspraxia and I, I couldn't find everything. Everything mm. is just blog posts and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. The academic stuff is all is all childhood focused. I mean, and yet that's that's a wider disability issue because it's where the money is as well, and there's oh, there's yeah. a whole economic side to that as well. But yeah. um, I feel like I feel like we could have talked a bit more <laughs> of the economic thing, but I think we're running out of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately, yeah, uh, that that's um that that'll be a segment for the future, definitely the economic side of it of uh, the bias and the unbalance in the research and then the um and then the resources out there but uh yeah if there's if there's any message i guess we're we're trying to send out it's um broaden your definition of what an adult is oh yeah by yeah, a correct. long margin yeah um and you have to do some very oh. hard <laughs> googling to find resources for um dyspraxic adults out no, there not, not but, so much yeah, yeah. Broad, broadening but also kind of be critical of mm. why and who does it help that Mm. Everyone thinks they have to do this and think mm. about the economic side of what an adult is and yeah, independent yeah. adults and think about those ideas. Think about mm. them very critically because mm. a lot of them are very kind of narrow and exclusionary and people feel that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's what I would say. They, they are narrow. So that's one type of adult, but there are also all these other different types of adults. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for listening. We've been, um, I've been Christian. I've been Cameron. You've been listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike. We'll be having another podcast in the next fortnight, so stay tuned. You can definitely follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter is GMD, at GMDTA Media. And Facebook, if you look up Facebook, if you look up Great Minds Don't Think Alike, we are actually one of the first people that pops up. Um, we're on Omni and we're on the Sin website, so keep on Check listening. Listen to our like archived work as well we've got lots of we've got a big library of great podcasts out there um catch you next time